sharing. Um, again, it's it's not easy for uh, people to to come up and do that. So thanks. Around this time last year, um, we had one of our one of our congregation members who had she hadn't been coming to to our church for too long. Uh, her name was Lynette. She's sitting back there now. Lynette came to, to our Easter service, and um, just like we're going to do today, uh, we had a picnic after service, and it was, a, it was a, a beautiful, wonderful day. We had some great food, and throughout the entire um, picnic, Lynette kept saying, this is my best Easter ever. This is my best Easter ever, and, and we kept thinking to ourselves, well, you know, the food is pretty good. The weather is, is really nice, but why does she keep telling us that it's her best Easter ever? And later she went home on Facebook, or she might have done it while she was here, and she wrote, this is my best Easter ever. We asked her, why, why do you keep saying that? Why is, this your, why is this the best Easter you've ever had? And she said, because for the first time I understand what Easter is about. Today, my goal is simple. My goal is that today would be your best Easter ever. For those of you who know the message of Easter, you've been sitting in church for your whole life. Today, I pray that it would be your best Easter ever because you hear it as if it was the first time you've ever heard it and that it would change you from the inside out. And for those of you who were sitting here like Lynette last year and you didn't know, you don't know what Easter is, I pray that today you would hear it and you would have the same response that she did and that throughout the picnic, you'd be telling people, whoever listens, this is my best Easter ever. Simple. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're aiming for. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to read in the Bible. And I know not all of you have a Bible. So we're going to throw it up on the screen. But Luke was a, one of the four people who wrote a biography of Jesus as recorded in the Bible. It's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was a doctor. Okay, he's a very intellectual guy. Uh, he not only is a very intellectual guy, but he had access to testimonies and stories of people that normal people didn't have access to because he was a doctor. He would see many people and he heard their stories. And as he writes this in Luke 24, um, this is what he says about that first Easter morning. This is God's word. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, these are the women who are following Jesus. They took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words, God's word. The simple message of Easter Sunday is that there's always more to the story. I don't know if you've ever heard and I, one of the things that I, I've come to realize I value a lot is for people being faithful over the long haul. And I love the fact of uh, seeing someone who's been committed to another person for all these years or someone who's been faithful to a company or to their God or their religion for many, many years. That always moves my heart. And there's a story about this 
an elderly man and woman. They've been married to each other for 60 years. That's a long time. Anyone been married for 60 years? Nobody. Okay. So 60 years they've been married together. That's a long time. And they had no secrets. They just shared everything. It was a happy marriage. Everything was great. But one thing, one thing that the woman never told her husband about all these years was she had this little black shoebox on top of her closet. And she said when they got married, please, whatever you do, don't ever ask about that shoebox. And we'll talk about everything else, but that shoebox remains off limits. And so he, for pretty much 60 years, forgot about that. He said, oh, well, I'll never ask you about it. And he forgot about it for 60 years. When it came time for her to go the way of all of us, she was sick. The doctor said, you need to get your affairs in order, so you need to make sure that you have, you know, there's nothing left that you need to, to say to anybody. And so she said, it's time for me to bring out that shoebox and to tell my husband what's in there. And so she asked him to bring the shoebox down. He brought it down, and they opened it up together. And in it, there were two dolls that she had crocheted and $50,000. And so he said to her, honey, what's this all about? And she said, well, when we got married, my grandmother told me the secret to a lasting marriage is that you cannot argue with one another. You cannot fight with each other. If ever you get mad, she said to me, if ever you get mad, I want you to go, just keep your mouth shut and crochet a doll. And so I did. And as he saw that, he looked in that shoebox and there were two dolls, 60 years he just moved with emotion. And he looked at his wife, the woman of his dreams, and he said, I've never loved you more than I have today. 60 years and only two dolls. And then he said, and what about the $50,000? And she said, whenever I would crochet a doll, I would take it to the craft fair and sell it for $5 each. <laughs> There's always more to the story, isn't there? That's the message of Easter Sunday. You see, the disciples come to the tomb of Jesus. Their story was pretty messed up. Their story was pretty messed up. They had devoted the last three and a half years of their life to following this man because the Old Testament prophets, their uh, forefathers in the faith had passed down these stories that a deliverer, a Messiah, a Savior was going to come and he's going to change the world. And they thought this guy could be the one. He did a lot of Savior-like, Messiah-like, chosen one-like things. He healed people like you saw in that video. He healed people. He did miracles. He gave people food who needed it. He opened blind eyes, uh, welcomed children when nobody else would. He loved and embraced the down and out. Did a lot of things that other people looked at and said, wow, that's the kind of stuff that it looks like our Savior would do. But just two days earlier, that chosen one hung on a cross dead. What do you do when all of your hopes and dreams are pinned on this one person and that person is dead? See, Jesus wasn't the first one. Around that time, a scholar named N.T. Wright says there are about 15 other people who claimed to be the Messiah and led a following of people. And all these people walked with him and followed him around, all this stuff. But every time, those 15, quote-unquote, Messiahs ended up dead. You know what happened to that movement? The movement dies also. You know what you say when that person dies is you say, I guess he wasn't the one. And then you move on and you go look for somebody else. I guess he wasn't the one. It's a sim- it's. It's a simple sign. It's a sure sign. All of your hopes and dreams pinned on this one person, but they're gone and they didn't do the things that they promised. It's over. See ya. 
wouldn't want to be you. Let's go find somebody else. That's what their mentality was. And their story seemed over. And so here they go. They get to the tomb and they realize these women, right? Their women took the spices, verse 1. They had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Right, where did he go? If you didn't find a body, right, you go, okay, so you know someone who's passed away, okay? And you go to their grave. You get to their grave, and they're not there. What do you think? Here, the first two things I think, this is what I think. First thing I think is, I must have gone to the wrong grave. The second thing I think is, somebody must have stolen him. At what point, okay, at what point do you start saying to yourself, you know what? He must have risen from the dead and walked out of here. At what point do you say that? Never. You don't say that. You don't say that. I don't say that. Neither do these people. A lot of times we think, well, these people back then were a little bit more dumb than us. They didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have technology. They're a little bit not as smart as us. Remember the guy writing this is a doctor named Luke. He's not sitting around watching The Walking Dead. He's not watching like X-Files and, oh my gosh, you know, this great, I, I got this idea. Jesus rose from the dead. As incredulous as it is, as it is to our ears today, that we go to the grave of a loved one and he's not there and we say he rose again from the dead, that's how incredulous it was for these people. To think, C.S. Lewis says, to think that they're dumber than us because they lived 2,000 years before us is chronological snobbery. I have to say that we're that much smarter than them, but that's not the case. In fact, their worldview, in their worldview, it was a whole lot more difficult for them to believe that someone could rise from the dead. And here's why. In their mind, they had this understanding. In the Jewish mindset, there was an understanding that there would be a resurrection. But it was going to be at the end of the world, at the end of all of it, when everything that's broken is going to be made right. And at that point, all those who have died, believing in God, are going to be raised to life. There was never in their, in their minds an understanding or a thought even that in the middle of history, one person is going to rise from the dead, especially when the rest of the world is jacked up. There was never a thought in their mind. It's like saying today, hey, you know what? Hey, guys, I know the NBA playoffs started yesterday, but Jameer Nelson, the point guard of the Magic, he's going to win the NBA championship this year. How does that make any sense? First of all, the Magic stink. And second of all, one person on the team cannot win when the rest of the people don't. That doesn't make any sense. And so in the Jewish mindset, it was the exact same thing. How in the world is someone going to rise from the dead when there's all this brokenness around, when the, re- when the world hasn't even ended? How does that make any sense? And so here's what the people are saying. They're saying if they were to come into our service today and stand up here like Kevin did and share their testimony, here's what they would say. They say, listen, you can call us liars if you want. You can believe us if you want, but don't tell us that we're stupid. And don't tell us that we're making this stuff up. You know, if they were walking around saying, hey, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, they would have been laughed out of Jerusalem. And this movement would have died. But why did they go around telling people that this happened? Because that's what they saw. Because that's what they saw. Listen, if you've got a tomb that's empty, then you can say, yeah, the great, someone stole his body. That's fine. All you would need to do was find that body. That's it. 
There were other people who walked around and said, hey, you know what? We saw Jesus after he was crucified. We saw him walking around. Now, if people saw Jesus walking around, all these people, over 500 people saw Jesus walking around, it could have been a massive hallucination. That's fine. We'll give you that. But if the tomb is empty and if people saw him, then your conclusion must be that he really rose from the dead and he showed himself to people. You cannot have an empty tomb and people who said they saw Jesus and conclude something different. You see, the message of Easter tells us that the story isn't over. The disciples desperately needed to know that their story wasn't over because they had left everything behind to follow this Jesus. He hung on a tree. He was dead. He was cursed. Their lives, what are they going to do now? They desperately needed to know that the story went on, and it did. And because his story goes on, your story can as well. Because his story's not finished, your story's not finished either. We all have a story. And we all have a story. Uh, You may like your story, you may not like your story, but we all have one. At the end of our lives, someone's going to tell that story. Some of us, we love our story. If you were to give a title, it would be called, It's a Wonderful Life. Or glory. Or life is beautiful. Maybe that's your life. But if we're honest for a second, there's a lot of us in here who don't like the story we're living. And if you're to give your story a title, you might say a series of unfortunate events. That's my life. You might say depression and hopelessness. That's my story. You might say sin city. That's my story. The unforgiven, whatever you call it. What's the story that you're living in? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe that's some of your stories. But the reality of the resurrection of Easter Sunday is that your story is not over. And you and I desperately need to know that. I need to know that. And if you're anything like me, you need to know that also. You need to know that your story's not over no matter how bad the last few chapters have been. Some of y'all are sitting here and you just feel like, how can I even be in church considering what I did this week? Some of you are like, how can I be sitting here in church given what I did last night? And your view of church is that you got to be good and you got to be right. But the only reason you came is because your mom in L.A. told you, you better go to church this morning. And you're here and you're like, holy cow, my life stinks. And maybe some of you agree with our brother Wyatt who shared his story last week that he got to a point in his life where he was praying that his story would be over. And he said, God, take my life, end it right now. Maybe some of you, that's your story. And you're just hoping that someone would write the end at the end of it all. Right now, right now, that's it. Maybe the last few chapters of your life said depression, divorce, discouragement, broken family, broken life, uh, shattered dreams. My business is failing. My finances are in the gutter. The debtors or collectors are coming after. Maybe that's your story and you wish that your story could just end and you hate the story you're living. I know that in in a room filled with this many people, there are a good number of us that are living in that kind of a story. Mistakes that you made and we're rehashing the chapters of old and we can't live in the story that God's writing for us right now. 
The hope of Easter, my friends, is that there is more to your story than you know. That the story doesn't end here. Because the same God that raised Jesus from the dead and said, that story's not done, is the same one who says the same thing about your story also. In fact, in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it was a letter that was written by some dude to a bunch of people, followers of Jesus scattered throughout the lands. He says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He says, he's the author of your story. You know, when you read an author, you read enough of his or her books, you begin to realize, ah, there's a pattern. Their story is very predictable. How they write a story is very predictable. You guys know that you have a favorite author or favorite movie director, and you know that it's always going to be like this. Anyone know uh, an author named Nicholas Sparks? Yeah, a few chuckles, right? I think you know. He writes a lot of romantic, sappy novels that have become movies. Some of them, A Message in a Bottle. The ultimate emotional heartstring make you cry movie. Pulls your heartstrings, manipulates your emotions. That's Nicholas Sparks. A message in a bottle. A walk to remember. Dear John. Uh, the notebook. Yeah. Ah. Well, y'all going to go home tonight and watch these movies. There's, a, there's an internet site. It's very funny. It says, here's how you make a Nicholas Sparks movie. And it has all these pictures and stuff. But basically, it's simple. And I'm not, being, I'm not being a reverse racist here, but this is how it starts. You take two gorgeous white people, a guy and a girl, and you have them try and fall in love, but there are obstacles to them falling in love, right? Maybe it's their social status. Uh, maybe her mom, oh, my mom and dad, they don't like you because you're like of a different class. Uh, maybe it's 9-11. Oh, my gosh, 9-11 happens. Dear John, can't do that. So you bring in this, this like, thing that makes love impossible, and then you make them fall in love anyway. Here they are, right, falling in love. Right? They're the characters on the poster of the movie. They're always kissing, and it's always raining. That's the story, Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> so you got that. They fall in love. And then what turns this from a stupid romantic movie into a Shakespearean drama is you throw in this catastrophic event that should never have. There's no way that's going to happen. She gets leukemia. Gets cancer. Oh, my goodness. Shipwreck, and he drowns. Oh, my gosh. All these crazy things happen. And then Alzheimer's disease strikes. The notebook. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. You read or you watch one Nicholas Sparks movie, and you know that this author, you know the kind of stories that he writes. Uh, look, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the author of your life. And he only writes masterpieces. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, dude, my story is jacked up. This story stinks. And you're looking at yourself as I did when I was in college and I saw that I had the pen in my own hand writing my own story. The story of my success, the story of love, the story of all of these things, only to realize that those stories were stinky and they're terrible and they never, it's what they said. You're, You're looking for the living amongst the dead. My problem was that I was looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. 
There's a great British author named G.K. Chesterton. He says, every time you knock on the door of a brothel, you're looking for Jesus. What does he mean? He says, every time you look for illegitimate love and sex, you're looking for Jesus. Every time you get to the bottom of that alcoholic wine bottle, you're looking for Jesus. Every time you put that needle in your arm, you're looking for Jesus. Every time you run from one lover to another, you're looking for Jesus. And at the end of the day, you know your stories because I know my story. It always leaves us empty. But he's saying the story that Jesus writes for your life. Because every story is predictable. There's a guy named Donald Miller, and he says that the best stories, the best stories are the ones where on many occasions it feels like the story should be over. The hero's never going to reach his goal, her goal, but then something happens, and in a twist of fate, the hero achieves and accomplishes that purpose. Tim Keller, he's a, a preacher, a pastor, author in New York City. He takes that one step further, and this is what he says. He says, a great story isn't one in which you have all these bad things happen, and then bam, at the end, a good thing happens. Those, that's, a, that's a good story, but that's not the best story. Here are the best stories are the ones in which all that bad stuff happens, but that bad stuff gets redeemed, and it becomes the reason why the good stuff can happen. You ever seen the Mel Gibson movie Signs? Then it, Mel Gibson is basically, he's, he's an ex-priest, and all of his life, he just stinks. It's falling apart. His wife um, dies in a terrible car accident, and he can't believe that there's a God if that happened. At the same time, he's got a, a daughter, and she's weird. I, I don't know exactly. I don't remember what her deal is. She's cute, but very weird. She has all these, like, she gets a glass of water from the kitchen, she drinks it, she's like, oh, this tastes funny, and she puts it around the house, and she gets another, and she can't ever finish that one, she can't ever dump it out. So all around their little house on the prairie, they've got all these glasses of water. And he's like, oh, we got to clean this up. And she's like, no, I can't clean that up. He's got a boy who's suffering from acute asthma, and he's always like, oh, I can't breathe, I'm going to die. And then he lives with this deadbeat brother of his who was a former minor league baseball player, could never make it into the major leagues because he always wanted to hit home runs. He always swung too hard. He struck out every time. And so this is a story of these crazy family living together, and all of a sudden, this alien comes. It's kind of silly. This alien comes, and everyone is, oh, my, they're going to die. What a terrible ending to a terrible movie, a series of terrible events that happen in this family's life. The alien grabs a hold of the daughter, and he's going to kidnap her, take her, kill her, eat her, whatever he's going to do. And Mel Gibson's character remembers what wife used to always say. He used to always say to her brother, swing away, swing away. And so he yells at his brother, swing away. And he takes his bat, and he swings away, and he hits that alien, and he lets go of the girl. And this, the alien starts breathing poison, and it's going to kill the boy, but he has this asthma attack, and he can't breathe. And so the poison just goes over him, and he stays alive. And then they realize that the alien's kryptonite is water. And if it gets water on him, that the alien will die. You guys are laughing. It's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's like, so we're all crying. When we're oh, so Stop laughing. Okay, you can laugh. 
So the guy takes the, he, they start throwing water on the alien. The alien dies and they realize that salvation came because of all of the hardship and all of the bad stuff that happened in their story. You see, this is what Easter tells us. It doesn't just tell us that life stinks, life stinks, but you're going to die. And if you believe in Jesus, you're going to rise again. It's saying the very reason why we have Easter, the very reason why we have good news is because Jesus had to die. The reason why the disciples could celebrate and sing Jesus is alive, happy day, is because on Friday, the crucified carpenter hung for their sins, for my sins, and for the sins of anyone who would believe in him. Because the message of the Bible tells us that we lived in a bad story that was made worse because we sinned and we fell into rebellion against our maker. And punishment was our destiny and that was our lot, but God sent his son to live, the only one to live the perfect life and to not deserve condemnation and punishment, but he stood in our place to take all of the wrath of God in order that we might be forgiven, that we might have life. The the only reason why we can call Friday Good Friday is because those wounds came in our place. And because of Friday, Sunday came and he rose again from the dead. And your story is not over. Your story is not over. No matter what you might think, no matter what you might feel, no matter what the chapters of your life preceding have looked like, your story is not over. This is the message of Easter this morning. No matter what you've done and where you've been, none of that stuff matters because hope is here today. I'm going to tell you just one last story and then I'm going to invite you into the Jesus story and ask if if anyone wants to allow him to write the story. There's one one last thought from a guy named John Ortberg and he he tells about, actually there's another guy named Kenneth Almer. He's a bishop in California. And he tells a story of these two men who were uh, hanging out in an art gallery. They're hanging out in this art gallery. They're looking at these paintings. And one of them came across this painting. It's of two guys. Actually, it's not two guys, but it's a devil and a man. And they're playing chess. And the title of this painting is Checkmate. A lot of the pieces have been cleared off the board. The devil is grinning this evil, devilish smile because he's got this man in checkmate. And so these two guys are walking through the the, the art gallery and one guy stops. He likes playing chess. He plays on his computer all the time. And so he stops. He says, hold up. I want to hang out at this painting for a little bit. And he's looking at the pieces and he's looking at the people. He's looking at the, he reads the thing says checkmate painted by such and such. And his friend is like, dude, let's go. And he's like, I want to just kind of camp out here for a little bit. Guy's like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to come back. And so he went to the bathroom. He comes back, and his buddy's staring at this painting. He's like, I got it. I figured it out. What are you talking about? He says, either they need to change this painting or they need to change the title. He says, why? He says, because the title is Checkmate, but if you look at the man, his king, the king still has one more move left. You get it? The king still has one more move left. This is the message of Easter, my friends, that the king still has one more move left. Your life might seem like you're in checkmate. All right, the papers have been filed. It's over. 
It looks like checkmate. But the king still has one more move left. You might feel like all of your hopes, all of your dreams left with that guy, with that girl, and everything is done. All of your hopes were dashed when your business failed and all the money went out of the bank account. It looks like checkmate, but the king still has one more move left. This is a story that the king has been writing throughout history. The author and the perfecter of the faith stories of all who would believe in him. 2,000 some years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, it's been written. There's a guy named Moses, 3,500 years ago. 80-year-old man leads a group of slaves out of, the most, out of the grips of the most powerful man in the world. Here they go. They're leaving. They left Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they're about to cross the promised land. There's a raging, angry uh, sea before them. There's a raging, angry army behind them. The people are looking at Moses like, Moses, what are you doing? Moses looks up at God and says, what are you doing? It looks like checkmate. But the king still has one more move left. There's another king. Actually, you want a king? He was just a boy, a little teenage boy. There's a giant who's been tormenting the people of God day in, day out in this valley. There's this little boy, and he says, I want to fight this guy. Everybody's like, you're stupid. He says, I want to do it. They try to put the arm on him. He's only a 38 regular. The arm is a 52 large. It doesn't fit. Sword's too heavy to lift. It looks like checkmate. But the king still has one more move left. There's a guy named Daniel 2,500 years ago. Guy named Daniel, stranger in a strange land. He bows before his king to pray. Everybody says, don't do it. He gets thrown into a den of starving lions. They shut the lights out at night. They put him in. They turn the lights on in the morning. Should have been checkmate. But the king still had one more move left. 2,000 years ago, there was a cross. And on it, the prince of glory, the Messiah, died. He was laid to rest in a tomb. A big old rock was placed in a groove. It was sealed. Roman guards watching it. It looked like checkmate. But 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday, the king still had one more move left. This is a story in your life too. You might think that you're in checkmate. You're in a corner. You're backed up. There's nothing left. There's no hope. I've gotten the prognosis. I've gotten the doctor report. I've gotten all this stuff. It's over. But the message of Easter is that the king still has one more move left. That's true not only in the Bible. It's not only true in the stories that have been written throughout the past 2,000 years. But it can be your story today too. It's the story of so many of us in here whose lives have been rewritten. And all of the brokenness and all the bad pages have been redeemed in order that there's joy. That at the end, the ultimate, the ultimate door in your face death is only a door. And it will show us that all of life has just been As Lewis says, the cover page, the table of contents into the real life we're meant to live. Let's pray together. I want to ask us to just think about what is a story that God is writing in your life. And maybe some of us may say, He's not writing the story. I don't think he's writing the story because I've got the pen in my own life because I'm the one who's holding it because I'm the one that's been doing everything, making the decisions. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that first Sunday changed the world and the world was never the same. And today, it can be the same for you that your life can forever be changed today as well. I'm going to invite us to just think about the story of our lives for just a minute right now. And in a moment, I'm going to ask us, 
if there's anyone who wants to put their trust in Jesus, to say, I want you to be the author of my life. I want you to be the forgiver of all of my past, that you'd be the one who rewrites my destiny. I want you to do that. In a couple moments, I'm going to give an invitation if you want to make that simple prayer. We're not going to call you up here. We're not going to make you stand up. Um, all I am going to ask you to do in a, in, a, in a moment is just to raise your hand so that um, I can see that there's people that I could pray for. As we think about that, if you feel like through the songs or through Tevin's testimony or through what you've just heard right now, if you feel like someone inside is just beating at your heart, someone is just speaking to your heart and, and you just sense something moving within you, I want to say that that's God we've been praying for a long time for today that God would speak to your heart the Bible says that he stands at the door and he knocks maybe you feel him knocking you just feel something in your heart something tugging and pulling Jesus says he wants to he's knocking because he wants to come in it's the wonder of wonders that God wants to come into your life and make you part of his family He doesn't care about where you've been. He doesn't care about what you've done. He says, my death, my blood shed for you is more than enough to forgive you. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Today could be the day that your life is forever changed. Just think about that for 30 seconds. Then a second, I just give us a simple invitation and lead us through a prayer together. Think, reflect, pray together in just a moment. Continue to keep our eyes closed. Sit up in a posture of prayer, waiting on God. I just want you to know that it's not an accident that you're here today. You're new or you've been away for a while. We've been praying, like I said, for months. That people who don't typically come would come. That people who haven't been here would come. Today would be our best Easter ever. If there's any of us in here, it's like, you know what? tired of holding the pen and screwing up my story made a mess out of it I've hurt so many people and I've hurt myself and, and whether I knew it or not I hurt God but today things can be different and I want to give my life to him make him the author of my story that describes you where you're seated with the rest of us praying with our eyes closed and that you just raise your hand from where you are you. I need Jesus in my life. I can't do it on my own. Just raise your hand from where you are. We're not going to prolong this, but um, okay, see you in the back. Thank you. Okay, a couple up here. We see y'all on the right side. Okay, thanks in the back. Okay. A couple in the back. We see you. Thank you. 
Easter message isn't, hey, let's fix our stories. Because we've known how that song and dance has gone. We've only made a bigger mess of ourselves. We're saying, let me turn it over so that God can do it. It's beautiful things out of our lives. Anyone else? Next uh, few moments. all of our uh, eyes closed. I'm just going to pray a prayer and I'm just in your heart you can repeat it. I'm not going to wait for you to repeat it after me, but this is the kind of prayer that you could pray to invite Jesus to be the author of your life. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and for seeing me, for seeing my story uh, from before I began to write it and you knew me and you loved me. Thank you that you came in human history and you lived for me and that you died for me and you rose for me so that I could have life. Thank you that this is the story. This is the story to which all stories point to. This is a story that I could lose myself in. So I put my trust in you now and ask that you would come into my heart. That you would come in and be the forgiver of my sins and you would be my king. That you would take and lead me to the next steps, that you would show yourself to be strong, that you continue to do your work in me. Thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks. If you